after Israel had, or the Hebrews had come out of Egypt and they were fighting all the ites, right? The Malachites, the, the Anakites, all the ites. These are all types and shadows of you as you come out of the bondage to the world and to sin and into your salvation, into your land of promises. Amen? Amen. But uh, there was one time there was in uh, Numbers chapter 24, there was, there was uh, a king named Balak. He was the king of Moab. And he hired a sorcerer who also appreciated God. He knew he was him. <laughs> but he, hi- he wanted to hire him. His name was Balaam to come and curse the people of Israel. And he went up there and he tried. But when he opened his mouth, just blessings came out. <laughs> this king said, well, hold on a minute. Maybe you saw too many of them or something that scared you. I'll take you to another place where you get a different look at them. Then you curse them there. And he went and he, he blessed them again. <laughs> he said, man, even if I wanted to, I can't undo it. I can't undo the blessing that I have spoken over God's people. He's caused me to do it and he's going to stand behind it. You know that God has spoken his blessing over you and nobody can take that away. God said it and that settles it. Now we're just waiting to believe it, to take hold of it. Latch on to it and let put our send our faith out to take hold of that which we are in need of. That the promise fits that situation, and don't let that faith rest until it accomplishes everything that it was sent out to take hold of on your behalf. Amen. Amen. The grace of God that's been provided. I just want to tell you that today because you need to remember that. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I did good with my beautiful wife today, I think. Got her, I found the perfect card. God must have written it for us. And and uh, went and got her a certificate for the place she likes to go, or her and Samantha, to get, but for both of them, I got one. So they can go together if they want to, to get their toes done or whatever they do, you know. <laughs> I went there myself. And that was great. And uh, she was happy. But she would be happy no matter what, you know. She just, she's just like that. She didn't need things, but she appreciated it. <laughs> and then Harper and Samantha and Garrett came by this morning and brought us a Valentine. So they didn't get out of the truck. It bundled up tight. <laughs> You know, uh, you don't know anything about old uh, St. Valentine? It's a real thing, you know. I mean, where, sort of where it comes from, the history. I was going to mention that to you because sometimes, I think, hey, if you don't learn it in the church, you know, you're just going to hear what the world has to say. But he was a real person. He was a Roman priest. So he was a Catholic, but he loved God and he was put in prison by um, the Roman uh, emperor of the day 
for, uh, for helping persecuted Christians. Christianity was not legal at the time. And uh, a lot of the records around St. Valentine, you know, the saints that the Catholic Church calls saints, that, that really makes no difference to us. The Pope or anybody else is no better than you in God's eyes. We're all saints if you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a fact, okay? You don't need a man to tell you that, declare it, put your icon on the wall and have people pray to you. That's wrong, see? But God bless everybody. But St. Valentine, as he was known, uh, a lot of the records about him were destroyed in the 4th century fire, I think. But he was uh, this emperor, Claudius uh, II, interviewed him and talked to him, got to visit with him, and tried to convert him to paganism to save his life, because I guess he probably liked him, just like when Paul was in prison. You know, if you've got the Holy Ghost on you, he's sort of irresistible. And so they, they had to see that there's something there, and probably scared of these guys a little bit, but then their ego gets the best of them. And uh, since he didn't convert and tried to convert the emperor instead to Christianity, they killed him for it. <laughs> but... Uh, before he was killed, the jailer who had a daughter named Julia, she was blind. And he, the Lord, through this St. Valentine, healed this girl uh, and restored her sight. So this miracle was, was done through him. And the jailer's daughter was saved and and her sight was restored, and he had a household of 44 members, including his servants and family members, and they all came to know and accept the Lord Jesus Christ before he passed. Then they killed him. <laughs> but it says, the history says that on the evening before he was executed, he wrote what was become to known as the first Valentine. Uh, it was addressed to the daughter of the jailer, the one who had, he restored the sight to. And uh, he signed it as your valentine. So that's where the common thing came from. And uh, it said that she, she planted a pink-blossomed almond tree near his grave. And so today the almond tree remains a symbol of abiding love and friendship. So, And he also would marry... Uh, uh, secretly Roman soldiers who were Christians because it was illegal for them to be married because this same emperor thought that a married soldier was not a good soldier and so he wouldn't allow it but secretly he wore this amethyst ring and uh, anyway it had the, the symbol of the cherub on there anyway they recognized that they knew who he was they'd ask him to secretly marry them and so a lot of cool things around that story, you know. They're usually some sort of Christian base, even if they've mixed it with paganism and stuff like that, you know, just like St. Nicholas and stuff like that. But I like to share that. Also, uh, on Wednesday, it's Ash Wednesday. And so, if any of you wonder about things like that with the people with the black ashes on their head, that's, that's just burnt ashes from the palm leaves that were blessed the year before. And they put them on the forehead. It's a, it's a 40-day fast. It's, of course, symbolic of Jesus, 40 days in the desert. But it's, it's really 46 days because they don't count Sundays. But it's leading up to Easter. So it's a time of fasting and prayer and to set themselves apart. 
It's practiced by not only the Catholics, but Lutherans and Methodists and Anglicans and Presbyterians. But uh, I just wanted to let you know that you know you don't have to observe anything like that. It's uh, nothing against them if they want to do it either. but that doesn't save anybody. We've been set free. Jesus was the fulfillment of all things religious, and we don't have to abide by that. And uh, so, uh, there are scriptures that uh, the scripture says, "Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That's why Sundays, you know, uh, sometimes people will ask me if I can come out and see them uh, and uh, look at their house on Sunday. I say, oh, you generally don't, but I said, I can. You know, oh, well, no, you know, I've said, it's, it's not a... It's not a rule. It's good to have a day of rest. Otherwise, God wouldn't have put it in there. But it's not something that I need to do to be accepted by God. You see, Jesus did all that for me. But also, when it comes to the shoe on the other foot and other people who do, we don't want to mock them or do anything like that. Romans 14, verses 4 through 6, Paul said, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. All that he's saying, hey listen, if somebody, Paul, Paul went on to say, if, if, if someone's a vegetarian and it's for and it, their faith that's causing them to do that, he says, I won't ever eat meat in front of them again. You know, In other words, just be respectful of other people's things, especially if they're doing it by faith. Even if you think it's in error or wrong doctrine, which it generally will be if they're not free. Uh, but leave them alone. You know? Leave them alone. Pray for them. <laughs> Praise God. John 13, verses 34 and 35. And then you can put your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you. This is a message from Jesus to us, okay? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Father, thank you for this day, this cold winter day, but it's still the hearts of your people have responded. People have come just to share in your word and to celebrate you and the love that you have for us on this Valentine's Day. We thank you that we have a warm place to meet and we have other believers to fellowship with and to 
to learn and to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that you use me today, Lord. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you for all the listeners all around the world that hear this message and know that I'm praying for you as well. Whatever country you're in, whatever city in this United States you're in, I see those and I and I pray for you and I thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, he's talking about praying in the Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. This is what uh, people say, oh, if I get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, do I have to pray in tongues? No, you get to. But... uh, you know, it's like buying tennis shoes. The tongues come with it. That's just one little aspect. You know. God, God's not going to make you do anything. Uh, you know, people get scared. But I guarantee you, you're not going to be walking through Kroger's uh, one day and uh, the Holy Ghost overcome you and you grab the mic and just start praying in tongues, you know. Uh, he doesn't do that. It, he requires your partnership and you have to do it on purpose, okay? All right. <laughs> this is a private prayer language for you and your prayer time and your prayer life. And I highly recommend it. It is a separate event, uh, occasion. It can't happen at the same time as your conversion or water baptism, but it is totally a separate thing. It can come before or after or at the same time like it did with Jesus. I can show you through scripture, but uh, just keep that in mind today. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. In other words, all these things he mentioned in tongues, speaking in tongues and prophesying and giving and all these wonderful things, they're good and necessary now, but one day, you can imagine that great day, we won't need those things anymore. Amen. We'll be with him. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You know, 
when we love, when we love like God loves, agape love, this unconditional love, this unselfish love, we will never do harm to others. That's why that sums up all of the laws and the prophets, everything they were teaching and trying to command in the Old Covenant. It's all summed up in loving. Because if you can go one by one down the commandments all the way to the third or fourth one where you stop knowing any more of them. (laughs) But if you had them in front of you and read of them, you said, now if I was really operating in God's kind of love, would I do that? Nope. 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 The ones he says that you should do? Yep, I would. Yep. That's just what he means by that when Jesus said that. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Now, this is not talking about circumcision as we know it today. He's talking about our overt acts of worship or sacrifice or piety or holiness. Thing, religion, Ash Wednesday, etc. None of those things counts for anything to God. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Hebrews 11.6 and two other places in the New Testament it says without faith it's impossible to please God. I am intrigued by this scripture because what they were quoting was a, a scripture from the Old Covenant from Habakkuk 2.4 and it says in Habakkuk, I want to look at the whole scripture that they're quoting from when they said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in Habakkuk, it says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So that can be hard to sort of wrap your mind around. But if you really meditate on it, I don't want to say it, I want to say chew the cud on it, get all the value out of it until it becomes revelation knowledge to you. Amen. That's all I'm saying when I'm crude like that. I get that from Andrew. But Paul, what they're saying is there's a choice to make. There's only two options there. One is the man who walks in pride and has a righteousness of his own trying to live and obtain holiness or righteousness or right standing with God apart from the help of God, independent of God. That's what pride is. The other one is the one who has surrendered to the grace of God And says, I can do nothing apart from you, Lord. It's that simple. Paul was trying to say that faith alone in what Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf, that saving faith in saving grace is the only thing required for salvation. You say, yeah, but but Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but 
Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Remember that from Matthew 7.21? So here he's talking about we got to do some stuff. Doesn't that? What's Jesus mean by that? It sounds like he's saying we have to do some things to earn God's favor. No. But saving faith in His saving grace will produce righteous works. Won't it? So by the fruit, you can determine things done by true faith or a counterfeit. James said, you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. But the actions of faith, or more specifically, faith expressed through love, which is the only kind that's really faith, or that really matters. Otherwise, it's just fake religion, you see. It's not the cause, but the effect. Mm -hmm. It doesn't earn relationship with God, but it's the byproduct of our relationship with God. It's so imperative that we understand that. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? The grace or the faith? Both. Both, Amen. Look at what the Apostle Paul said. He was agonizing over his own people, the Jews. I love these personal things. They're so intimate in, in some of the writings of these apostles, especially Paul. In Romans chapter 9, verses 31 through 33, he says, But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. They were never able to obtain it. They, were never, they never were victorious in their efforts. Why, he says, because they did not pursue it by faith. They didn't mix it with faith, but as though it were by works. In other words, they were trying to earn it. They were trying to be good enough, to do good enough. They screwed up at the, mount, at the foot of Mount Sinai when they said, whatever God says, we'll do it. They should have never done that. That's when they went under the curse of the law. And they should have fell on their face and said, Oh God, have mercy on us. We will never be able to do this apart from you. But they said, We'll do it. And when they said, We'll do it, God told Moses, He said, Hey, put a barrier up around the foot of the mountain. They can't even come near it. Or they'll they'll die. They didn't pursue it by faith. But by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written. Behold I lay in Zion. A stone of stumbling. And a rock of offense. That's Jesus. And he who believes in him. Will not be disappointed. Or will not be made ashamed. I love that scripture. So no Jesus. No faith. No Jesus. No true love. I mean, without Jesus, you don't have any real faith. Without Jesus, you don't have any true love. What the world calls love is really just lust. And it looks out after its own needs. I love you for what you do for me. That's not true love. 
So, this love, this unconditional love for a Christian is not optional. And that makes it something that we need to focus on because it's not normal either. It's not natural to love someone who is unlovely. Someone, I'm not talking about physical attraction, I'm talking about people who are out to hurt you, people who want to harm you, and you know that they're being inspired by the enemy to do the things. How do you love those people? How did Jesus hang there on the cross and forgive those and ask God to bless those who were killing him and mocking him and spitting on him and killing him? It's a supernatural kind of love. And we need a supernatural God to help us with it. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 2. And I'd love to read the whole chapter to you. But I won't. We're talking about the promised land that they were led into. It's what the old covenant talks about. It's all a picture, type and shadow of what's been revealed in the New Testament. You entering into your salvation, coming out of your Egypt bondage to sin, and fighting your ites all the way to and into the land of promises and taking hold and taking possession of the land that God has given you. Amen. Well, he's getting on to them in Jeremiah chapter 2. And he's talking about how they have wronged him, God. God gets hurt sometimes. He gets a little emotional about, he's jealous for you. And jealous for you in a good way because he knows he's the only good thing for you. And when you go off to the world, it will destroy you. And he loves you. And he knows that apart from him, that Satan will eat your lunch and pop the bag. <laughs> so, so... <laughs> His, this jealousy is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And you better hope he never loses it for you. Jeremiah 2. says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord. And he goes on, he starts out, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride. In other words, when we first came into relationship together, how you followed me in the wilderness, in the land not sown, and so forth and so on. Oh, Lord, help me not to read all this. I'm going to skip down to the seventh verse. <laughs> and I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. Just, uh, just act like Jesus is standing there talking to you about this, okay? But when you came in, you defiled my land. It made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where's the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, another god, which is not a god at all, and went after things that do not profit. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. Let me skip down some more. Chapter, uh, verse 11. Has a nation... He says, go and look all around the world and, and see, see if anyone else has even done this thing. 
He says, has a nation changed its gods, or even though they're not gods? In other words, these other nations, they're faithful to things that aren't the gods that they call their gods that aren't even really gods. They don't go throwing them away like you have me, the one true God. But my people have changed their glory, which I can show you is your tongue. Which is given to you to glorify God. For that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. He calls himself the fountain of living waters. And two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. In other words, he is the living water. He is the well that we draw from. And people continually, from beginning of the history of mankind to today, are going out and they prefer to dig their own wells that won't even hold water. They're desperate to live a life apart from dependence on God. We all have gone astray like sheep. Gone our own way. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. Thank God that He laid all of the punishment for that on Jesus, on the cross, on our behalf. But in Revelation chapter 2, He's talking to the church in Ephesus. This is Jesus when John was given this great revelation of who he is now, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he was talking to the churches and he had some very nice things to say about the church in Ephesus. But then in the fourth verse of chapter 2, he said, Nevertheless... You know, when somebody (laughs) leads off with a bunch of nice things and then they say, but, or nevertheless, it's like, oh, here it comes. (laughs) I have somewhat against ye, because thou hast left thy first love. That's him. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. This is New Covenant stuff, folks. And go down to the third chapter in Revelation, if you're tracking with me or just writing this down, the 15th through 17th verse of chapter 3. I know your works, he says. I talk about this a lot when I tell you all the fence belongs to the devil. For mealy mouth fence-setting preachers and Christians. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. He said, I, this is what, I, it comes from Jesus where I get that. He says, I know your works, you're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's almost more dangerous to be a a faithful, religious 
good person than it is just to be a downright old sinner. I talk to both all the time. And it's harder to crack that nut who's been got his own pew in the church. Yeah. Harder to bring them to the Lord for real than it is that old sinner. At least that old sinner knows. When I was a when I was sinning with the best of them, I had a great respect and honor for God. I knew who he was and I knew how bad I was. And and it's still that way. Give me a room full of good old fashioned sinners. I tell you, and they'll do more for you. They'll do more good. Remember when I used to meet up here with bikers for benefits? And them old boys, they weren't churchgoers. But I tell you what, somebody be in need, they'd, they'd drop everything and be there in a second. Those people have more respect for God than half the people are more sitting in church on Sundays. And so I give me a room full of good old-fashioned sinners and I can start telling them these things and they've got a hunger for and thirst for righteousness if someone will just reveal to them the real Jesus. That's why I call that book that. Yeah. One of the biggest harvest fields in this nation is in the church, unfortunately. Evangelists used to say, quit trying to save the saved in the church. Get outside of the church walls. That's still true today. But have the, the ones that really need to be saved right now to make a difference in this nation are the ones who call themselves Christians. So with... Hearing this rebuke of Jesus to the churches. This wasn't to the world. The world, we know their situation. We're praying for them already. We're looking for opportunities to help someone to come to know the Lord as we have. We don't judge anyone. We're just, we're just ambassadors here. We're just witnesses of what He's done for us. Hoping that some of them will come to know the Lord. But how do we get back to the place that we first started in when we were first truly born again? How, how, do, how do we get back to the love and the enthusiasm? Um, how do we remember His call when we first responded to Him? And stay in that sort of elevated position of excitement and love for God. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. 30. Remember, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How wonderful that sounded. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You go down in Matthew 11, all the way down to the 33rd verse, just 37th verse, just past where I just read. Jesus, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, capital S, okay? 
the rivers of living water that will come flowing up out of those who believe on Jesus is the spirit of holiness, the spirit of peace, the spirit of love, joy, the Holy Spirit. This beautiful, beautiful third person of the Trinity who doesn't who's here with us, who strives with us, who, who walks with us through this life all the way through, take, taking a hold together with it in every situation and circumstance, if we will allow Him, and never wants credit for Himself, only to give glory and honor to the Father and the Son. But I'm telling you, He needs to be your best friend. Jesus said, it's good that I go away because now He can come. The Helper. Now He said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. As yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. 1 John 4.19 We love Him because He first loved us. That's the motivation. It's hard to go and love someone that doesn't love you. But when you realize the love that God has for you, how much He has given for you, how devoted He is to you, how in love He is with you, you will love Him back. And that will overflow easily into the things that He's called us to do. We need a revelation of how He loves us. When we turn away to the world, when we don't spend time in the Word, and I'm not picking on anybody. Everybody has their own thing. Just the fact that you're here is wonderful. But when we don't spend time with Him, it will cause us to lose our mindfulness of His love for us. It's just, it's just a, I mean, do the math. It's what goes in. That's what... We magnify. And when we stop magnifying the Lord, it makes our problems, our situations and circumstances much bigger. And when we, uh, when someone says, uh, you have this, or you're a that, and you agree, you just gave the devil, he just, an aha moment. Because he goes, ah, gotcha. You said it. Now you owe me. Now I gotcha. Now you gave me your authority. I just had a testimony yesterday of a young man. He had a picture of the day that he came up in front of the church uh, to be saved. But he said that he had given his soul to the devil. And when they cast that thing out, it screamed, he owes me. You him. Get out. And then they had an after picture and he'd been free for so long and he had a list of other people he's praying for to be really saved and all that too but when we start to feel when we don't spend time with the Lord focusing on his love and his provision his promises etc etc we start to get begin to feel more self-sufficient Get into this place where we start digging our own well. I don't don't need God's well anymore. I can dig my own well. The one that doesn't hold water, you know. 
and we start doing that and we start drawing on that well and we find out that it's dry and then we should turn back to the life-giving well that provides life-giving water. Independence from God is not a good thing. A lot of times preachers we minister about the necessity of Christians to love others, especially other Christians. And that's right. In John thirteen thirty five, by all by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. This is the most distinguishing characteristic, according to Jesus, of Christians. So it's imperative that we live it that way. But we need to remember that we can't do this apart from God because it's uh, it's uh, supernatural. You know, I know a lot of people that uh, you know, just like all the people I described. That, that, I mean, give me a room full of good old fashioned sinners, and they'll usually be really good hearted people and this and that. But I tell you where the the difference is, right here. Because their religion is, you're good to me and mine, I'll be good to you. You cross that line, watch it. We can't live like that anymore as Christians. It's not an option. The joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah said. And when we let people steal our joy... We just denied God that He's the source of our joy. Isaiah 55 1 says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Same thing. He's just prophesying the old covenant about what Jesus was going to be providing. Isaiah 12.3 With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Ezekiel 47.9 Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. That's the, that's the Holy Spirit, folks. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. James talks about this this can can fresh water come from a salt spring? He's talking about your tongue, folks. He's talking about the words of our lips, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why I say that I, I could talk to somebody for a little while, and I can tell what sort of seed they've been planting in their garden of their heart, because it's bearing fruit. Doesn't take me very long, because you can claim. Whatever you want. And some people are very good at talking religious and, and even doing good things. But you can... It only goes so far. It only goes so far. I have so much that I want to share with y'all. But today, I'm just going to... Cut it into a third. I was talking to uh, one of my vendors 
uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday one of my supply houses that I deal with anyway and there's uh, there's some people that work there you know you get to know everybody anyway um, there's two ladies that work in the office there you kind of um, and one of the the guys that used to build um, all my sunrooms and stuff, he was uh, my little garden gnome, I called him. I, I might have mentioned to you all when he passed away last year. But uh, he was, boy, he was, he was kind of surly and rough, you know. And, uh, but he knew his business, man. I loved to have him, put him on a job because I didn't have to worry about it. He'd have those boys jumping and he and if there came a problem he knew exactly how to fix it you know his his experience was wonderful but he he had some issues he'd get mad at the drop of a hat boy and he'd go to telling anybody and everybody just how cow eat the cabbage he never was much on religion <laughs> and his wife had passed away who he loved and I think it made him even a little more surly and he was already getting on up there in age. But uh, long story short, one day the Lord just led me to give him my book. And I did. And he read it. And he read it again. And it changed his life. This is his testimony. And he would call me and we had conversations, lots of them. And he tear up and and uh, he really came to love the Lord and uh, although sometimes you couldn't really tell <laughs> it's a process you know in this soulless realm and sometimes people don't get all the benefits of their salvation while they're here but they got it and I knew that he got it. And when he was on dialysis and very sick with cancer, he would call me. Or I would call him sometimes and we'd pray together. And he'd call me sometimes and just say, can you pray? I, I feel better when you're praying for me. And, and I said, absolutely. And then he passed on. Um, anyway, I was on the phone with one of these ladies from the office and I said, I haven't seen any of y'all. How's everybody doing? Everybody healthy? So forth and so on at the warehouse. And I haven't seen you in a while. I haven't seen any of you since Alfred passed. And uh, this little girl said, oh, I know. Uh, and uh, I said, yeah, it kind of leaves the void. He had a big presence for such a little man. She goes, yeah. And, uh, and I just, the Lord just prompted me. And I mean, it's not... You know, it's, it's not always comfortable to, to come out and start talking about the Lord, although you always want to, but you're looking for the right windows of opportunity. He's supposed to be shared, not shoved, right? And I said, you know, um, I, I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I said, but I want to tell you something about Alfred. I said, you know, he, he uh, and I told her the story that I told you all just briefly, and she began to cry. And she said that just before I called, she was talking to the other lady that works there in the office. And she was saying, you know, I don't know what about Alfred's former life. Um, 
but I just know that God is merciful and I just pray that that he somehow made it to heaven, you know. And then I called and the Lord had me to share that with her. And she just broke down and she said, I'm, I'm shaking. And, I, and she started crying. And I said, well, God is faithful. I said, he just... <laughs> I said he just confirmed it to you and me, actually. So. <laughs> but he's good like that, you know. And if we're willing, he's always wanting to use us. Because, and we need him, you know. Jesus wouldn't have been so excited about leaving because the Holy Spirit could come and, and telling the disciples who had been with him for three and a half years, don't do anything. Don't go, don't go preach. Don't go try to do anything uh, until the gift comes that my father will send. And so they were waiting in that upper room, you know, and that's when they, they got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But even as much as they knew and as much as they had seen, as much as they obviously had to share with the world, he told them, don't even think about it until the Holy Spirit comes. And then obviously they went out and turned the world upside down. Or just right side up. When I was a little boy, We lived in Texas City, and there's a Texas City dike. It goes out five miles into the water. It's a wonderful little thing, and we spent a lot of time out there. And I remember my mama and my grandma would always, we just go for a ride. We'd go ride, and that was the only thing we could afford, you know. (laughs) But we'd ride out on the dike. And I've seen thousands upon thousands upon thousands of ships come and go. Texas City and Galveston and other places. And I've been on a lot of ships. But my mama, when I was a little boy, she used to always tell me, son, because, you know, I had uh, some special circumstances. (laughs) And I know it was tough on mama and it was tough on me, but she used to tell me, baby, one of these days your ship's going to come in. And I remember the day I was in a prophetic setting and I remember I had had my eyes closed and I remember that the Lord gave me an open vision. I was standing on the rocks there on the dike on those big granite rocks and right behind me a giant ship had come off of the off the ship channel and came right up to the rocks and it was parked right on my shoulder here. My ship had come in. The Lord was showing me that. I've had lots of prophecies and things like that that sort of go along with that. But the point I want to make about that is, you know, no matter where you're at, James talks about our tongue and, 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 and how it's such a small member can do such evil or such good, you know, and can set such a, a forest fire aflame with such a with the words that we speak. And he compares the tongue on a, of a man to the a small rudder on a giant ship. He says it's such a small rudder, but it can steer that ship wherever the pilot wants to take it. 
And you know, no matter where you are in the world, if it, it could be a captain sailing ships for for 30 years, when he gets to a port anywhere in the world or in the United States, he is not allowed to pilot that ship into dock. He is not allowed to moor that ship. He has to take the harbor master is in charge for starters, and he assigns a pilot to go, and he comes alongside. And that captain has to allow him to come on board, and he relinquishes control of that rudder, of that ship. And that pilot assumes responsibility for that ship, and he brings it into dock. And that is the same with us, folks. We think that we've got it all figured out sometimes. We can get pretty good at life and going through things and figuring things out. But we are really not capable of navigating all the the stormy waters of this life. We need a pilot. And that pilot is the Holy Spirit. He has to be invited, allowed to come on board and take control. You have to verbally ask him and relinquish or yield control and tell him so. I want you to take control, Holy Spirit, of the words that I speak, the thoughts of my life, the ground, the garden of my heart. Don't let me allow bad seed or roots of bitterness to take hold in my heart. And He will. He is looking forward to that invitation and He will gladly help you. And when you make mistakes, He will just mention it once and repent and move on. Don't live there. Don't bring it up again. He don't want to hear about it anymore. With true repentance is true forgiveness. He's wiped the slate clean and He wants to help you to be all that He's called you and created you to be and to do. And the grace of God has been provided for that. Amen? Amen. God loves you and He wants you to know it a lot. (laughs) A lot. Father, thank You for this day and thank You for this beautiful reminder that You love us and that You care for us and that You've made provision for every area of our lives. Lord, we thank you for reminding us that we are to partner with you in this, that you're not going to force yourself upon us, but you are there waiting, willing, desiring to be there for us in every area of our lives, to meet every need and to guide us and direct us and to help us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have provided healing for everywhere we hurt, You have empowered us through your promises and the faith and the grace you've given us. 
You have loved us and shown us and proven that love by the amazing sacrifice that you have given us to prove your love. And we have been prospered in every way through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything you have is ours. And we thank you for this help. We love you for it. And we, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.